Good afternoon to everyone in the Bible Quest audience. We're glad you're able to join us this afternoon, this Tuesday edition. I am your host, Drew DeGrotto, and let me bring in our panelists, Stephen Rouse. How are you doing, Stephen? I am doing well, Drew. Welcome, y'all. How's it going? Doing very good on this end. Um, surviving, right? The snow hasn't returned yet like it did last time, last Wednesday. That's right. Uh, Jonathan, how are you doing? Jonathan Sadler is here. Yeah, I'm doing very well. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. And our program director, Scott Smeltzer, uh, just came in from chopping down some trees, I think. Didn't you, Scott? No. But <laughs> yes, yes. I've been laboring like a lumberjack all morning. <laughs> there you go. Wearing that shirt outside like that. Good to have all of you here today. Uh, if you're coming in on the Zoom app, uh, you know the drill there. Go ahead and use the uh, chat window, the chat box. Click on the chat button and text your questions or comments in as we go through today's topic or even on any subject you want a question on. We may get to it at the end of today's topic or we'll save it for next week, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Someone had given us a, a question as we were closing out last week. So we'll go over that in a minute. And if you're coming in through the Facebook uh, page, uh, use the comment box there. We'll be monitoring all of the communications coming in. So with all of that said, let's get right into the program. Scott, why don't you bring us up to speed on what's, well, let's see, let me read the question and Scott, why don't you take it over? This, I think this came in from Patrick last week and it's, his question was at least on the surface, Jeremiah 31 verses 35 through 37. Looks like it looks like it is saying Israel will never quit being God's chosen people. Is this talking about spiritual Israel? Israel. Good question. Where are we going, Scott? All right. So let's read here in Jeremiah 31. The first text we'll read is a more familiar part of Jeremiah 31 because it's repeatedly quoted in Hebrews. And then we'll get to the verses that Patrick has uh, stated. So somebody please start reading for us there in verse 31. I've got that there. Uh, I'm reading in Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, do you want me to just read 31 through 34 initially? Oh, sure. That'll be fine. Thanks. Okay. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Okay, and I'm sure somebody on the panel will be taking us into Hebrews later, and we'll be looking and, and talking about how that passage is applied there. But first, let's throw out these questions. In this text, does it, whether we decided in, is included in the fulfillment of prophecy terms or not that's not what i'm asking in this text does it refer outright uh in it, in its uh terminology to gentiles no it, it says the house of israel and the house of judah specifically yeah. yeah and then our next question is in hebrews who 
is it that brings the new covenant? It's Jesus. Yeah, it's Jesus. Mm -hmm. uh, and in Hebrews, it's written to what kind of people? Hebrew Christians. Hebrew, <laughs> who are in the new covenant and needing to be reminded that that new covenant is better. But when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper, did he say he was establishing two covenants? One for physical Israel and one for Gentiles? No, he, no. he said this is the blood of my blood of the new covenant. Nothing about any other covenant. Unto the remission of sins. So under this better priest, like Melchizedek, not Levitical, uh, with a better sacrifice, the blood of Christ, not bulls and goats, once for all, not daily and yearly, et cetera, all those contrasts. And we've got Jesus comes and he's the minister of a new covenant. And that new covenant includes physical Israel. It's for them. And it includes, th this is a new covenant in my blood shed for many. And it's going to be Gentiles and Jews and Gentiles as we have in Acts chapter 15. Uh, and we'll talk later about how we're being grafted into this tree. So that's just some preliminaries, but uh, Jonathan, and then we'll start reading to the part of the text that uh, Patrick asked about. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yeah, just one thing. I want to just bring attention to verse 32, because um, I think this will be helpful when we start talking about grafting in and how the Gentiles and that type of thing. The origin point that's being talked about of the covenant is the covenant that I made with Israel when I brought them out of Egypt. However, there's a further back covenant in history before the covenant made with Israel during Exodus. There's a covenant that was made all the way back in years and years and years, hundreds of years before that in Genesis, which we'll talk about more. So just to point that out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, very good. Any other comments or anything before we go further in text, Drew? Yeah, this question, uh, he talks, Paul talks about the mystery that was revealed to him. And I, there's two areas of mystery. He talks about the mystery of Israel's salvation. That's Romans 11, 25. But then he also talks about the mystery where Gentiles are included in salvation. Yes. In fact, let's, let's go over and uh, read that text from Ephesians chapter 3. If somebody beats me to it, take us through that, please. Uh, yeah, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, Ephesians 3, verse 1, if that's when you're referring to a prisoner of Christ Jesus on, on, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I've written briefly. And he goes down to verse six. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the uh, promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Yeah, yeah. And let's keep in mind, before we go further, maybe it would be good to kind of set some boundaries that we need to remember as we discuss in here. So there's a lot of people that have some premillennial ideas, and they think that the church is a parenthesis that wasn't even seen by the prophets, and God was doing something with physical Israel, it's interrupted, Here's a church period, and then we go back to this, and they're expecting all sorts of things to happen about that. Uh, and if somebody wants to comment on some problems about that, I'd like to hear it. Uh, and there's another idea of acting like, ah, 
old covenant, since it's done, the Jewish people don't matter. Everything's about us now, the Gentiles, and God's just completely forgotten about uh, the Israelites. Let, let's start on that end. Uh, where is the text where Paul says pretty much the opposite of what I just said? It's going to be in Romans uh, 11, uh, verse 1 is one uh, place to go. And of course, Romans 9 through 11 is a place where Paul is discussing at length and in great detail about this question of what happened to the Jews? You know, what, yeah. what about God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants? But he says in Romans 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. So All right, good. Not about, God has not just said, oh, well, so much for the Jews. And also later in chapter 11, there's probably several things we'll be looking at in chapter 11. Later, it mentions about the unbelieving Jews Verse 28, as touching the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Paul's talking to Jewish and Gentile Christians. And the unbelieving Jews, yeah, they're enemies for your sake. But it's touching election. They are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are not repented of. In time you pass, you are disobedient and now have obtained mercy by, the, uh, by their disobedience. Even so, now these also have been disobedient that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now obtain mercy. For God has set up all into disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. So it's not that there's something not significant uh, about Israel. It, it's good for us to remember that's what we're joining in to that stock. Um, uh, two verses real quick, and then we'll continue here in Jeremiah 31. Um, uh, one is, oh, I forgot what one of them was, so I'll go to the second one. Um, look at Romans chapter 11. No, no, I know where it is. We'll, we'll save Romans 11 about the olive tree till later, and maybe somebody else will go through that. But look back at Romans 9 1, uh, and Stephen alluded to this. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience bearing witness with the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing pain in my heart. I could wish myself to be anathema from Christ for my brethren's sake, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, whose is the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom is Christ as concerning the flesh. We are receiving from God the benefits that he promised to Israel. Those promises back to David, which are to Abraham, which I think represents the root of that olive tree in chapter 11, we're getting to be grafted into then. But in, but in 11, it tells us not to be high-minded. You know, it's, it's not a Gentile tree. It's this, these promises going back to Abraham that we're being grafted into. And so the, the, we need to keep in mind the humility there. All right, any other discussion on that before we go ahead with Jeremiah 31? I mean, he'll just say uh, there in verse 18 of Romans 11, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. There you go. Very good. Makes the exact point. 
Excellent. Can you repeat who that root is, uh, Stephen or uh, Scott? Yeah, from the context, in reading Romans 11 carefully, he does not say this explicitly, right. but it seems like in the context, he is talking about since the Jews are the natural branches of this tree, they came from the root of Abraham, who is literally their forefather. The Gentiles are being grafted in. They're not naturally part of the family of Abraham, but they're brought in through Christ to participate in the promises. So it seems like the root is Abraham. In the yeah, I would agree to that. And it, he's not named as the root in chapter 11, but if we back up in context to chapter nine, talking about the Israelites, he said, Israel, who, it, whose are the fathers? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were, <laughs> they were Abraham and children of Abraham. And then it, so there's this dependency uh, on this. And so, and, that, and then there's that root that then leads to this tree, but many branches have been broken off because of their unbelief. And then wild olive branches get to be grafted in. But as Stephen reminded us there, just remember, we're being grafted into somebody else's tree. All right, Jonathan. Yeah, and that's also just right past in Romans chapter 9. I think that idea of Abraham being the root is kind of confirmed more in chapter 9, Romans chapter 9 and verse 6, where he talks about how the word of God has not failed. And he says, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, not all who are children of Abraham because they are his uh, are children of Abraham because they are his offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means it's not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is the promise about this time next year. And he goes on to talk about Isaac um, being born, but that the promise to Abraham was that origin of who is going to be included in this tree, this, this blessing, this family of God. Yeah. All right. So, in Jeremiah 31, we had this, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Judah and Israel. And I'm sure somebody on the panel will take us through some New Testament passages in a minute showing what the spiritual Israel is, and that spiritual Israel is not going to be limited to Abrahamic DNA. But let's come now to the verses that Patrick asked about. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and stars for light by night who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. So it kind of, somebody kind of sum up the, the type of rhetoric being used here. Talks about creation of the world when God created the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars said they're going to be for signs and seasons, and this is never going to stop. This is the clockwork by which the universe runs. And so he's basically saying, until the clockwork of the universe stops, my promises are not going to stop. And specifically in verse 36, the offspring of Israel are not going to cease. They're not going to stop being a nation before me forever. Um, only if the world comes to an end, basically, if everything stops, then I would cast Israel off. But the, it's, it's rhetorical saying, this is, this is forever. This is never going to stop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of, you know, when pigs fly. You know, that's never right. going to happen because that doesn't happen. 
well, when the sun isn't shining anymore and somebody's measured all this stuff that you can't measure, that's when, when you can expect this. All right, so when Jeremiah wrote this, the first audience, how should they have understood this? Who should they have understood this to be speaking of? Probably Israelites. Physical Israel, that God is not going to cast them off. Uh, God's going to fulfill his promises to Abraham and to David. And Stephen read for us a few minutes ago, Paul in Romans 11 saying, did God cast off Israel? And his answer was, no way. No, I'm an Israelite. And there were lots of other Israelites. Uh, All the apostles were Israelites. You know, the early church until Cornelius was, you know, uh, basically Israelite. You had a few proselytes. Um, so there, I think initially the, the focus would be on the actual nation of Israel. And we've seen that that is not cast off. And of course, there's still Israelites uh, serving the Lord. And even the Israelites who aren't, God still cares about them. Romans chapter 11, he remembers his covenant with them he wants to have mercy on them. So that's a starting point. What else? Do you think there's any application to this beyond this? Is there, when we look at the New Testament and we start seeing this this mystery evolve, what are some of the things either that you want to bring out from Jeremiah 31 or from Hebrews or from some of the New Testament passages? Where do you want to go? One of the simplest things to point out is that if all we have are the Old Testament prophecies, there's going to be some things that are really shocking to us in the New Testament. Uh, Over and over, uh, Jesus did and said things with the Old Testament that the Jews of his day were like, what? What is going on? And when Paul uses the Old Testament, um, there are some things that he pulls out that I don't think anybody saw coming. Right. And we need to remember that the New Testament gives us a fuller understanding, a fuller picture of what the Old Testament prophecies meant. And so if we go to the Old Testament and press the language, press the language, because there are several places in the Old Testament where it talks about the Old Covenant being eternal, and it's clearly fulfilled and no longer bound in the New Testament. And so we have to be careful with these Old Testament passages, like the verses immediately preceding. They're quoted in Hebrews chapter 8, and the whole message of the book of Hebrews is how Christ is superior to this old covenant and has fulfilled it. And so it's just important to note that as we go through. Let's illustrate what you just said with 2 Samuel 7. David wanted to build a temple. At first, Nathan said, yep, go for it. God's with you. And then God pointed out that he had not asked for that, and David wouldn't be the one to build it. Uh, And then the message comes to David you're not going to build it, but your son after you, he will build a house to my name. Back in the time of David and then his son, who, and when the temple's built, who would everybody have assumed that passage was talking about? Solomon and those following him. And in fact, in Second Chronicles, when it quotes that text, it says, your son after you, Solomon will build the house to my name, you know, or is it first Chronicles? It's one of the two. I can't remember right now. Uh, and so, you know, clearly it, yeah, Solomon does that, but did that exhaust the promise? 
No, I mean, it's going to be quoted uh, in the New Testament. I mean, people realized when Jesus came on the scene, they sometimes call him the son of David because they recognize these promises are not complete yet. There's one who is going to be a descendant of David who's going to sit on the throne forever. And that can't have been fulfilled uh, completely in Solomon and the line of David. Yeah, right, right, right. Um, All right, Uh, go ahead with any other points because there's a lot of avenues we could go down and anybody who's got an avenue you want to go down, go ahead. We can talk about Hebrews. I was quoted in Hebrews. We can talk about spiritual Israel in the New Testament. We can talk about the relation of the Jews under the new covenant. Well, let's let's just go back to to Abraham, for instance. Um, it, it's important to remember that the original promises to Abraham were not just about his physical his physical lineage. Um, in Genesis chapter twelve, when God first calls Abram, um, he says in verse three, "I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse." And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Uh, What God is doing with Abraham is not just about Abraham. Now, he says, like, in you, and later he'll elaborate, says, no, it's going to be someone from your own body. Like this, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's going to be your literal physical lineage. And, of course, he goes on to pick Isaac over Esau, or excuse me, um, he goes on to pick uh, Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau. And so there's a direct line of here's the physical nation I'm going to use, but the goal of this whole thing is to bless all the families of the earth. And so when we're going to come to the New Testament and talk about the Gentiles coming in and about all the families of the earth being blessed by the seed of Abraham, it makes sense that this is originally an Israel thing, but then it becomes an all nations thing when Jesus comes on the scene. I particularly like the way Galatians puts it in Galatians chapter three, where he says in verses uh, 28 and 29, or we'll start in verse uh, 27, Galatians three twenty-seven. for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. It's one of the most explicit passages that says, if you've been baptized into Jesus and you belong to him, you are Abraham's kids. <laughs> like you, yeah. you're, you're the fulfillment of the promise. Yeah. And really what he's saying there in chapter three, because they've been told you need to become Jewish and become part of the old covenant and follow Moses or you can't be saved. And they've done that. And really chapter three in Galatians is you were already where you needed to be. All of you that were baptized into Christ, you were already the seed of Abraham and you already had the blessings. So would you say kind of relating back to the original question um, within Jeremiah 31, 35 through 37, looks like he's saying Israel will never quit being God's chosen people. Would a fair answer to the question, because uh, uh, Patrick asked, is that talking about spiritual Israel? Would a fair question to that answer uh, or that question, a fair answer to that question, get it right in a second, be 
both both spiritual Israel and physical Israel and the spiritual Israel kind of relating back to the root of Abraham coming in and being grafted in through Christ, how that is going to be God's people where he's planted the promise from Galatians and Romans and things like that, but also that he hasn't forsaken, uh, you know, physical Israel either. There's still Jews that live today and things like that. I think that's the way I would lean on explaining this, that it would have been originally intended for and understood as the physical nation, not that the physical nation could act however it wanted and not be punished or act however that wanted and still be right with God, because that's kind of Jeremiah's message. You're not, uh, but that, that God cares about them and he's, he's, he, there's a place in his heart for them. And this is, this is part of his plan. Uh, so I think the original uh, reading would definitely have been physical Israel. But when we get to the new covenant, as Stephen said, so many prophecies, when we get to the new covenant, we see a greater application. So I, I'd, I'd lean toward exactly uh, what, what you're saying, Jonathan. Yeah, and one of the interesting things about that, um, and, and this maybe might take it in a different direction, but in thinking about, well, was, was physical Israel and the law and all of that just thrown away? And I think, no, but kind of be careful how we talk about that. So there's an interesting story in Acts 21, Paul, who wrote Romans, who wrote Galatians, he, you know, saying that you're grafted into Abraham, not all who are born of Abraham are Abraham's offspring, it's back in the promise, all that type of thing. In Acts 21, after he's been a Christian, he's been traveling around, he's been, you know, converting people, preaching Christ, all that, he comes to Jerusalem. And um, I'll just read this section uh, in Acts 21, verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went with us to James and the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified God. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law, and they have been told that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus we all, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with the judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took them in the next day and he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. So there's this interesting interaction that Paul has where Paul's a Jew and he's been going around telling Gentiles, you don't have to be Jews to be saved, which is true. Uh, and James brings that up also referring back to Acts chapter 15 and the letter that was written that you just need to, you know, abstain from things strangled, not worship idols, uh, sexual immorality is no, uh, all that kind of stuff. That's what Gentiles need to be observing. But for Jews, 
it's still okay to observe the law. And that's really fascinating to, to see that, I think. Um, but there can be a danger in that, which is one of the main messages in Galatians. Don't put your trust and your faith in the law like so many Jews had been doing and thinking that the law was going to justify them, the law was going to save them. But that's not where justification comes for Jews or for Gentiles. Justification and salvation from sins comes from Christ and through his blood. Yeah. So what you're saying there, before Scott, before you go on, so what you're saying there then, Jonathan, is I think, is that carrying out the practices of, of Judaism or, or Jewishness is not wrong for them to do it, as long as they're not doing it to say, that's how I'm, that's how I'm saved. I am now, I can be saved by being a Jew and carrying out the practices of Judaism. Yeah, and I think Paul himself did that. He observed the law here in Acts 21, right. still being a Christian. Right, right, right. right. And but, but he did that as, but he did that to appease someone, but not to be justified and, and acceptable to God. Is that right? Well, he'd also been misrepresented. Mm -hmm. They said, you people, people here have heard that you're telling Jews not to circumcise their children. Paul didn't tolerate any idea of Titus being circumcised because he was Gentile. But Timothy? Who circumcised Timothy? Paul did. Paul did. Not because he thought Timothy needed to do that to be saved, but so that he would be able to relate better to the Jews. And Paul, we see him trying to get back for feast time. We see him having shorn its head uh, with a vow. Um, and coming back to this thing about Galatians, another thing is that for Jews not to think that their Jewishness needs to be imposed on Gentiles because the, the, those old mosaic things are not part of the gospel. So if these fellows want to go do a Nazarite vow, that's fine. But as James says, but as touching the Gentiles, we understand they don't need to do these things. Right. Amen. So Galatians is, yeah, don't put it on Gentiles. And Hebrews is saying what? Jews don't let go of Christ. Because having Jesus is. is better. Yeah, yeah, better, better, better. Because while they've got the old there, you know, uh, right now I'm in my old Prius. My This one has 277,000 miles on it. I've got a new Prius. Uh, this one is kind of free transportation by now, and so I, I use it sometimes. But I shouldn't start thinking that this one's better than my five-year-old one, you know, because it's not. Um, so don't forget which is better. Uh, let me let me throw out a real quick illustration if we have time that might be helpful a little bit. Suppose there's a family and you have a father and he has a number of natural children. And then he adopts some children who are not his biologically but he brings them in as sons and daughters. Now, suppose some of the natural children become, you know, they're, they're drunkards and cursing their father and mother, and in time they were stoned, or in modern times, they're disinherited. Okay? Yes. You know, the, the, being the seed of Abraham alone is never going to be enough. Because when John the Baptist started preaching, he said, don't even start to tell me you're the seed of Abraham. All have sinned. Everybody needs Christ. And so you've got those natural branches broken off. 
but then you've got branches there and they're natural there. And then you've got those that weren't by nature, but they, they, they're, they're also there enjoying the benefits. Let's touch on these. What are some passages from the New Testament? And let's start with one in Galatians that indicate a kind of a spiritual Israel idea in the New Testament. I'll mention the first one. At the end of Galatians, it says, uh, as many as walk by this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. That could either mean one of two things, the Israel of God, as opposed to the Israel that's following the devil, like John 6. Yeah, you say you're the seed of Abraham and you are, but really he's not your father, the devil's your father. So biologically you're seed, but spiritually you're not. So, so can you give us the reference on that again? Fellows want to know what reference you're reading. Galatians 6, verse 7, verse 16. Galatians 6, starting around 7. 16. 16. Okay. 16, okay. Galatians 6, 16. Okay. Yeah, so the Israel of God is either actual spiritual Israelites, or he may be referring to Israel of God in the sense that we Gentiles get to come in and be part of this. And there's some other verses along that line. If anybody wants to offer a thought on that, but bring out some of these other verses in the New Testament along the idea of a spiritual Israel. One that I think is helpful is Romans chapter two, uh, toward the end of the chapter. Yeah. And in this section, Romans one, two, in the first part of three, he's talking about how everyone is sinned. And in this part, he is referring to the Jews the quote-unquote natural-born children, to use your analogy, Scott, who think they've got it made when they're not actually being obedient. And here's what he says. And again, this, I think, would have been uh, pretty shocking to his Jewish hearers in, in, in the original audience. Romans 2, I'm beginning in verse 25. Um, For circumcision, indeed, is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who's uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical but a Jew is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. And so this passage, I mean, again, what has just sounded outrageous uh, that, whoa, you know, like a real Jew is not necessarily a physical descendant of Abraham. It's like, well, that, that, that's the whole point. This God chose a nation. He chose Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Like, what's going on? And says, no, it, it's about your heart. Um, it's about you walking by faith like Abraham did. And when you are cutting sin out of your heart, when you are circumcising your heart, when, when you are walking by faith, you're a Jew, even if you're a Gentile. And again, that's the great conundrum of this. And of course, the question arises as he's talking about this. Well, then what about the Jews? What about that whole thing with Abraham and David and all this? And that's really where Romans 9 through 11 come in where he says, well, no, like anyone can still be saved. 
Uh, the door is open for everybody, including the Jews. God has not kicked his people out to make room for the Gentiles, but the door is open to everybody. Um, Patrick just gave us a comment that relates, I think, to what you're saying. He says, I like the parable in Matthew 21, 33 through 46, quoting Jesus. Therefore, I therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's helpful to see that this this idea is not just like once or twice it shows up, but everywhere and from multiple sources. So Jesus talks about this. Paul talks about it. John the Baptist talked about it also. Um, so another passage about spiritual Israel and that type of thing. In Luke chapter three, when John comes on the scene, he's preparing the way for Jesus and the Jews come out to him to be baptized by him. And uh, excuse me, I said John three, but Luke chapter three, uh, verse seven. Uh, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham, or for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So that's really synonymous with what's being talked about in Romans chapter 11, where we're cutting off branches, we're grafting on new branches, even from stones, God can fulfill his promise, which I think that's talking about from the Gentiles. He brings in children of Abraham. They don't have to be actual blood relatives of Abraham. Yeah, and uh, another passage, the Patrick verse that Patrick mentioned reminded me of this one, when Jesus sees the faith of the centurion, and he said, I haven't seen faith like that in Israel, and he says, I say unto you, many, this is Matthew 8, 11, many will come from the east and the west and sit down with who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom, but the sons of the kingdom shall be cast into outer darkness. Not all of them, not Peter, Andrew, James, John, Mary, Martha, Joanne, you know, but the, the disobedient, as with the Gentiles as well. Uh, let's mention a few other texts. In Revelation chapter 2, persecution was being faced by the church at uh, Sardis, um, I think, and, uh, and they were being persecuted by these who say they are Jews and are not. I'm, yeah. I might have Sardis and, and Smyrna yeah. backwards. Yeah, yeah that's the church at Sardis. Smyrna. It's it's the or the church at Smyrna in Revelation Smyrna. 2, verse 9. So you're facing blasphemy from those that say they are Jews and are not for synagogue of Satan. Now I've heard some people say, see, these weren't really Jewish people. No, this means they're they're claiming their Jewishness, but on a spiritual level, they're not. This is saying the same thing when Jesus said to the Jews in John 6, after admitting their biological descent, he said, you know, Abraham's not your father. They're what? We're not born in fornication. He said, the devil's your father. And that's what we all want to avoid. Go ahead, John. Uh, there's a comment from CJ on Facebook when we were talking about um, Jews still observing the law, but Gentiles not. Um, having to observe the law saved through Christ and the new covenant and that thing. Uh, he said, but we still have to keep the new law to be saved and clarified by saying we need to obey Christ's commands in the new law, but we cannot earn salvation. But you can keep the law of Moses, um, but we cannot be saved by it. Um, but let's let's be sure to clarify, it's not that we can't be saved by the law of Moses. 
but if we keep the new law, we can be saved by it. Because mm -hmm. no flesh is going to be justified by law, right. because the Jews under the old covenant have the same problem. The Gentiles in Romans have the same problem as the Jews, even though they're in a different law. The problem for them and for all of us is that for all have sin. Yeah. Sin fall yeah. short of and the if the four of us stand before God with nothing but our deeds, and let's just take the second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Have any of us ever violated that? Yeah. 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 Sure. So it's it's that it's, it's CJ mentioned, you know, it, it's we can't save ourselves. It's got to be by grace. Let's read here in Romans 11. We've referred to it a lot. Let's uh, before we run out of time. Let's read it. So back in Romans 9, he had talked about I have pain in my heart for my fellow Israelites. And then um, he says in chapter 10, my heart's desires for them. I'm praying for them so they will be saved because they've got a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. They're trying to establish their own. They need to put their trust in Christ. Um, and then chapter 11 that Stephen has already read for us. So did God cast off Israel? No. Uh, I also am an Israelite. And then he says in verse 13, I speak to you bitter Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle of Gentiles. I glorify my ministry that I might provoke to jealousy them that are my flesh and save some of them. He's wanting, he's wanting the Jews to realize, hey, we're missing out. Uh, the, 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 our, our Messiah came and other people have it and we don't. We want to get back in on that. If the casting them away with them is the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? If the first fruit is holy, so is the lump. If the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and many were, Romans 9 said, what? Even if Israel is as the sand of the sea, it's only what? remnant that was going to be yeah, saved. it was always going to be the few um so if some of the branches were broken off and you i'm a gentile being a wild olive were grafted in among them so that we became partakers with them of the root of the fatness of the olive tree don't glory over the branches but if you glory it's not you that bear the root but the root you you know, Abraham is not dependent on me. <laughs> uh, the promises were made to Abraham and that in his seed, all, uh, that in him, all the, the, the world would be blessed. Um, the promises to Abraham have benefited me. Um, and this is where we talked about earlier that Abraham is the root, very likely yeah, here in the yeah, context. Yeah. Uh, you will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, by their unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by your faith. But be not high-minded, but fear. If God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Oh, then the goodness and severity of God toward them that fell severity, but toward the God's goodness. If what? They continue in his goodness. Yes, and they also, physical Israel, they also, if they continue not in their unbelief, shall be grafted in again, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of a tree that was by nature a wild olive tree and grafted in contrary to nature into a good olive tree, 
how much more shall these, which are natural branches, be grafted in their own olive tree? I would not, brethren, have you ignorant of the mystery, lest you be wise in your own conceits. A hardening in part has befallen Israel. That's physical Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved. Now, this confuses some people, and they think premillennial saved. When Jesus comes in, every single Israelite, boom, saved just like that. Jump down to verse 32. God shut up all unto disobedience that he might have mercy upon all. God has provided salvation for all, uh, not wishing that any should perish. But we still have to put our faith in Christ. And then back to verse 28, as touching the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But just touching election, they are beloved for the Father's sake, for the gifts and calling of God are not repented of. For as in time past, you were disobedient to God, but now have obtained mercy by their disobedience. Even so, these now have been disobedience, that by the mercy shown to you, they may obtain mercy. God has shut up all into disobedience, that he might have mercy upon all. Mm -hmm. I think as we talk about this, and as we think about prophecy... Oh, if, unless somebody how, has a comment, I think 33 through 36 might finish on. Go ahead, yeah, Steve. Yeah, I was about to say that. It's just... Uh, as we look at the whole big picture here is that God made some promises through Abraham. Uh, he made some promises to David. He made some prophecies through Jeremiah that are tricky to understand at first. But when we start to put this together with the new Testament and see the overall picture that God is doing this in a way to save the maximum number of people. Um, he wants as many of the Gentiles as can to be saved. He wants as many of his own people, the Jews to be saved he hasn't rejected them, but he's done this in such a way, even provoking the Jews to jealousy by the Gentiles coming in, that he wants more of them to be saved. So, so none of this is God being, uh, showing favoritism or saying, well, I like, now I like, the, Gen the Jews were my favorite, but now the Gentiles are my favorite. <laughs> he's, he's doing this in such a way that he will be glorified and honored uh, and that as many people as possible will be saved. And so when we see this plan come together, this last part of Romans 11 just sums it up so well. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Drew, you had a comment. Well, but yeah, this goes back to what you were saying about when all the Israel to be saved. Uh, I've heard it said that that refers to every single Jew on the planet will be saved. But you were making the point that the term all um, is, is not meaning every 100% individual as you use the term for all downward in verse 32 it's the same context that it's not every individual, but for all in a general sense. Is that what you were saying? Cause I, you went over it quickly. And it's, it's God's, it's God's offer to all, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, Jesus gave his ransom life is a ransom for all. What it doesn't do. It doesn't take away our responsibility to put our trust in Christ. And that's mm -hmm. all saying he's doing here. I'm taking it to the Gentiles and I'm hoping that, and I'm praying that that motivates the Jews to come 
take advantage of it well. God wants to have mercy on all. Yeah, but that's okay. And I understand it, but I've heard it say that, uh, and that well, I guess it relates to premillennialists who say that when all of Israel, the current Jews today in the nation, in the country, when they all accept Jesus, automatically, that's until that happens, Christ is never coming. That's what I've heard said. And I've heard premillennialists say that when Jesus appears in the air at that minute, every single Israelite in the world right. will become a Christian. But they and go the, to that. They go to that verse. To, 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 yeah, and that's that's not what that verse is saying. Uh, okay. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys for your discussion. Thank you, Patrick, for the question today. We hope that that's helpful um, in thinking about those different things. Um, it's definitely a big topic. One of the biggest topics, I think, uh, in the scriptures, and it's really what the whole gospel is about, about reconciling people to God through Christ and how that works, whether you're Jew or Gentile. Um, so to our audience, if you all have any more questions, uh, any passages you'd like us to go over or any Bible questions uh, you'd like answered here on the show, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to go through those uh, in our future shows. Um, but that's all that we have for this week. And so, Lord willing, we will see you all next time.